So welcome everyone to episode two of the United Voice podcast. We are practicing the art of kindness in civil discourse and authenticity in storytelling. United Voice Oklahoma is a podcast about the power of healthy dialogues on race, relations in America. Every episode will help you identify common obstacles to the healthy conversations and give you the confidence you need to invest in an authentic relationship with others outside of your race or your comfort zone. That's good. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here with you today, and I'm so excited to introduce our guest. I am Waylon Cubitt, and I am Cece Jones Davis. That's the the voice you just heard, and we are so thankful that you're listening today. Whether you're mowing the lawn, where you're out for a run, or you're just driving to work, we're excited that you are listening in today to hear stories and conversations on really difficult topics uh, where opinions are often very strong. We hope to provide meaningful content for every episode uh, to our listeners. Please share this podcast with your family, your friends. If you find any of this slightly helpful, we would like for you to share it with someone you think that it would be uh, a joy for them to, to learn from. If you are new to the podcast, make a point of listening back to episode one, where we dive deeper into the United Voice Oklahoma initiative with the founder, Clarence Hill, uh, and allow him to introduce himself as well. But today, we have our friend. None other. None other than the Lee Rowland. He is an author. He is a pastor. He's an educator. He's an inspirational speaker, community leader. And most importantly, he's a friend to every kid I've ever seen him talk to. Wow. Welcome, Lee Rowland. Welcome, Lee. Thank you, guys. And those that can't see this podcast, I am smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. That's good. Lee, why don't you take, for for any of our listeners that have this, do not know you or anything, can you just take the first few minutes to kind of introduce our listeners to who Lee Rowland is and what Lee Rowland is all about? Absolutely. Uh I retired from public school after 30 years, 25 of those years as an administrator, uh, largely serving in marginalized uh, communities and schools of challenge at risk, predominantly diverse and children of color. And my last stint was 12 years at Two Lakes Elementary, a school that uh, was highly, highly, highly challenged. Uh, really, all the negative indicators, suspensions, uh, low test scores, uh, teachers that didn't want to be at the school, children, parents, all of the negative indicators is what uh, we led the district in when I arrived as on that ship, if you would. Uh, 12 years later, uh, we were known as a bright spot or as a turnaround school where those all of those negative indicators were totally uh, eradicated, if you would. Uh, the lowest test scores in the district, uh, some of the highest um, the highest test scores in the district, uh, lowest suspensions, uh, lowest tur teacher turnover rate, um, uh, lowest mobility rate among our um, among our parents and whatnot, and so. Uh, I left, uh, retired early, uh, Waylon, so that I could try to help other schools and other institutions kind of acknowledge the issues that we acknowledge, uh, to take onus on ourselves to say, hey, um, we don't have to um, allow the status quo to exist. We can defy these odds. And, and we've got a story. It's really not that difficult, really just kind of... Uh, 
serving people and loving people. And, and so my book is about that and my life is about that just championing for justice. I'm also uh, an adjunct professor at a uh, local university here in uh, Oklahoma City, uh, Southern Nazarene University, and I teach future principals and superintendents. And so it is my passion to help everyone learn what we learned, and that is how do we serve all children? And uh, so that's the abbreviated version. You're also a wonderful husband. You're also a father. Tell us a little bit about your family. Oh, thank you. I've got a son and a daughter, uh, both kind of grown. Uh, for anybody that uh, around my age, uh, you get that <laughs> idea that children never grow up, but uh, uh, they're out of the house. My daughter's married and have a, an amazing two and a half year old grandson, Elliot. But Urban and Chanel, uh, Urban works in the NBA, does coaching. Uh, in the NBA, uh, is out of job as we speak because uh, of uh, their last stint at Houston. Uh, they let go of some coaches, but we believe he'll be back on. Uh, my daughter uh, teaches um, uh, fitness and whatnot, and so my way, amazing wife that I've been married to for uh, almost 40 years. Wow, incredible, incredible. Talk to us a little bit about your um your stint at Two Lakes. Tell us a little bit about the barriers, the specific barriers you faced and how you helped the staff identify those barriers and work beyond them, whether it was race or whatever else. Sure, sure. Uh, when I arrived at Two Lakes, uh, now 15 plus years ago, uh, teachers were having that dialogue, having, saying those things like, I don't see color. Uh, all children are the same and things like that. And I was like, there's no way in the world uh, we don't see color. And I don't know why people would uh, even uh, make such a statement. We see the people in front of us and we know if they're different. So if, if I go in amidst a group of NBA players, I'm going to notice all of those guys are tall. Wow. If I go uh, amongst uh, a, a group of female soccer players or whatever, I notice, wow, look at them, man. There's a lean and whatever. Why, why would we propose, uh, fool ourselves that we don't notice that people are different? And so hmm. the first thing that I did after waiting that first year, trying not to upset the apple cart in any way is, is at least to a minimal extent, is trying to make sure that I was very intentional about letting our teachers know, listen, this community, mostly of color, their morays, their values, their their lifestyle is different from yours. And let's you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to say, I embrace that lifestyle. You just understand their challenges are different. And I did the same with my community, kind of let them know, hey, our staff, uh, largely white, now they, they, their culture is different. So we had to look at and acknowledge those differences. And I believe the onus was on us. We are paid um, as educators to serve the community. And so, yes, we wanted the parents to do some things. Yes, we needed the community to do things, but it was incumbent upon us. It was our job to make the adjustment, the modifications to uh, how we approach teaching. And as soon as we did, things started to change radically, drastically, 
for the good. And uh, our, 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 our staff started to acknowledge that, you know what, uh, our parents are, they've got some tremendous challenges before them. So let's not uh, label them and say they don't care. Let's not say that uh, they're not good parents. We're not going to use, we're not going to make those kinds of statements and whatnot. We're going to meet them where they are and do our very level best to bring them along this continuum to, to being partners and helping uh, their children uh, to be successful. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Can, did you want to say something? I kind of want to go backwards a little bit Please. because I'm fascinated by, especially the first half of your book, when you talk about your upbringing, your early schooling, some of your experiences with uh, education, your own education, and how that plays into why you serve kids the way you do. Uh, in particular, you talk about how you how you feel like race uh, hurt your color, hurt your education experience. You do talk about you would never change how you can, it made you who you are, but talk about some of those early memories that you have about your your educational experience and how that kind of plays into why you thought it was important to turn two legs around the way you did. Well, in CC, uh, I began this uh, interview by telling everybody I was smiling from ear to ear. And just your question changes my countenance um, dramatically. When, you, when I start to think about me, I start to think about the pain that I incurred growing up, a uh, young black boy in uh, our culture, in America, in Oklahoma. Uh, I do share in, this, in the book um, the uh, confusion, the angst, uh, the fear of watching what was going on around me with the civil rights struggle to, to as a child, to see four great leaders, a minimum of four great or, uh, leaders in our country assassinated, mm -hmm. uh, beginning at John F., uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy when I was four years old. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know what was going on. And then uh, Bobby Kennedy, uh, John F., um, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X. And so witnessing uh, that, and that was not make-believe. And, and, and this is a beautiful thing that today's um, young people, you all as interviewers, uh, you didn't live through some of that that I lived through and so the fear and the confusion of that and then the the just the 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 what the practices of America what was going on how people were treated how my dad was treated mm -hmm. when he was stopped in the car by a police officer with seven kids and say hey boy and my dad's in a shirt and tie with gray hair and always a uh, suit on and always uh, politically correct and always um, um, uh, kind and honest and earnest for police to stop and stop my dad and I'm a little boy my dad is my king my dad is my he's my everything I think he's the smartest strongest and so police to stop my dad and say hey boy where are you going and, and what are you doing and you know looking at my mom and saying my mom react to that just the I believe there is some degree of PTSD that I even live with. And so uh, Waylon and, and Cece, my 
my personal experience, I was able to help my staff to say, uh, to look at things through a different lens. So it wasn't something that I read. It wasn't something that I heard about. I was able to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what? Their parents, their guardians, they have a different experience. They have a different feeling than, than you. So you look and think, oh, well, they just made a choice, a conscious choice not to be here, not to participate in their child's uh, education. That's not quite the way it is. I know their parents. Uh, their parents are my cousins. Their parents are my nieces and nephews, and they're struggling to try to get a fair shake at um jobs and opportunities and education. And so as I had those conversations on a almost daily basis, uh, whether or not it was just sitting down, just visiting with a staff men member in the office or whether or not it was a formal staff meeting and training, we had intentional conversations about, okay, here's where, here's the reality of our parents. This, this is their, this is what they've experienced. Let's, Let's be sympathetic. And I didn't have to tell them that. Mm -hmm. As I shared my story, my staff became, they saw uh, their our children. They saw them through in me. They saw me in them. Mm -hmm. And um, as I loved on them and encouraged them and served them, they responded to that um, as they should to look at our, the humanity of, of our families. Wow. Um, let's make sure the audience knows the name of the book. What is the name of your book? The Fantastic Voyage, A Story of School Turnaround and Achievement by Overcoming Race and Addressing Poverty. Amazing. And how do people get it? Uh, go on Amazon and order that book. Uh, if you, It's one of the first things that'll pop up. Uh, if you just put in The Fantastic Voyage, Lee Rowland, it'll just pop up and um, CCM Whalen, I'm quite uh, humbled and, and thankful that a number of schools across this uh, across the state have purchased the book for every uh, teacher and uh, staff member, and they're uh, utilizing it. And that's what I wanted. The, I, I wanted people. Uh, it has questions at the end of each chapter, and just practical things that people can just look and say, oh. That's simple. Why didn't we think of that? Uh, I didn't think we didn't think of everything that we did on our own. We looked, mm -hmm. uh, listened to others, visited other schools, uh, read and whatnot, and we put some very simple practices that I they'll work anywhere. I promise you that. Uh, one of the examples in the book is our uh, our children were given each day an effort grade. Why didn't we ever think about that before? So Waylon might be more intelligent than, than I am. You might be a better athlete than I am. Mm -hmm. But we all have an opportunity to make good choices. Yeah. So the teacher, uh, we had a rubric, and we talked to our, our kids. Every day, if you do this, you get a certain effort grade. Let me tell you, I saw, uh, this is a term of endearment, I saw little knuckleheads run and accost me, Mr. Roland, Mr. Roland, like, what's up, what's up? Mr. Roland, I got a three today. That was the best you could get. I got a three today. If they get enough threes, 
by the end of the quarter, we had some incentives that you could participate in. Why aren't schools thinking like this? God didn't give us all the same brain. He didn't give us all the physical uh, same skills, the, uh, the, uh, the artistic skills. But most of us, he gave a brain that we could kind of respond to commands. We could show a certain effort. And uh, those kids, that was a level playing field. And let me tell you this that effort grade directly translated over into higher achievement. Because when those kids were making better choices, they were then listening and working hard. And I want my, uh, my children of color especially to understand uh, because we, we, we've drank the Kool-Aid that this person is more intelligent than I am. This person is, um, uh, has a better support system than I am. And so therefore they're going to be successful. No, we need to understand the role that effort plays in our success. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I shared it in the book, but the research tells us that black, uh, blacks in America, African-Americans watch more television than any other uh, subgroup per the research. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but <laughs> I believe it. So, so I would tell my kids if they made poor grades, they'd have to come in my office and talk to me about their grades. Every child, every child that that performed poorly had to come in my office and sit down. And so I'd sit down and say, "Okay, what can we change? What can we change? Tell me how much television are you watching? Tell me how much time are you spending out uh, outside?" So. As a rule, you give me better effort and you're going to do, you're going to perform better. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. I have one, one thing, because um, I, I want to take us back for a second too. Sure. Um, so first of all, I really, I really want to encourage the audience to get this book um, because Lee has so much experience and so much heart and you can tell that this stuff just comes rolling out of his heart. Um, going back, let's go back to your childhood for a second. Tell me for your family, for your growing up, what education meant to you all. And when you knew you had a gift to, to or passion to be an educator. Uh, every time you tell me to go back, it's kind of like you holding up the hypnosis charm mm -hmm. in front of me. And I, I get a little scary uh, kind of thinking back. Um, Education um, was everything. Um, my mom and dad, my dad was a pastor, um, six boys and one girl. girl. And uh, my dad didn't um, really encourage us and support us with athletics, but he told us, go to school and make good grades. And you pay attention, you listen to teachers, you be obedient and whatnot. And so that was, um, that was uh, instilled in us, go do your best. Uh, my older brothers, uh, uh, growing up uh, in the 60s and dealing with, at that time, schools that were not, um, definitely they didn't have people of color and their staff and things like that. Uh, they, they struggled more than I did in school. Uh, my One of my brothers was whipped uh, pretty bad with a hanger uh, because of his it was all academic. It wasn't behavior. He was whipped pretty bad with a hanger and um, um, kind of beaten, actually. And uh, my parents had to go, and they were great parents, uh, as like most parents, they didn't go up to the school cursing and yelling and said, asking them what happened. My brother was then placed in special education because he 
just didn't talk as fast as everybody else had a slight uh, speech impediment. And so um, education was instilled in us uh, at an early age. Um, uh, I liked school, mm. third, fourth grade. I, at first it was a struggle to me, spelling and reading, and then it, it kind of the light bulb came on. And I started to kind of like school. And uh, I decided that ultimately I wanted to go into education. I was actually discouraged by a teacher that told me, hey, don't go into education because teachers, they don't retire, they just die. Mm -hmm. And they don't, and so basically she was saying that, you know, it's a hard field to get into. And in her time, uh, that was true. It was, um, there was a, a surplus of teachers now uh, there, there's a deficit of teachers, and especially teachers of color, um, and it's one of the problems that we are dealing with in America. Um, we don't have very many black teachers. We have fewer black male teachers, and we don't have teachers in the communities with the kids. That's a whole different topic, but it is a problem that America is trying to deal with right now. So the book, even the title, and I'm going to I'm going to challenge you a little bit to, to help us here, but Fantastic Voyage. Everybody wants to talk about the Fantastic Voyage. Everybody wants to talk about or hear about a school turnaround from mm -hmm. rags to riches. Yes. Everybody wants to talk about achievement. And they'll even engage you in the conversation of overcoming poverty. But when it comes to addressing race, which is part of the title of the book, I, I imagine that people are not so... Uh, interested in engaging in that topic topic because it's tough and so you go to this school that has a lot of white female teachers and you begin to start addressing all those things including race tell me uh, everybody what it was not all funds and games and everybody was on board with that tell me about the challenges when you start talking about race with uh, people that have not been forced to talk about it before well, you raise a great question. I love you guys. I love you just making me, because I want our audience to hear about this. Um, ironically, I attended a conference about two years ago, and a young lady um, that I sat at the table with, she said, well, how were, you, how were you able to get your school to turn around? And I said, well, one of the things I did was help my staff, uh, largely white, uh, white, female, blonde-haired, blue-eyed kind of teachers, um, young, looking at these uh, young children that were dark, brown eyes, a low income, and all kinds of issues. And so she says, "Oh, so you you help your teachers to to really have compassion." I said, "Sweetie, I didn't say anything about. I I specifically said that we addressed race. We hmm. specifically. And so, no, I don't want you to." I don't want you to find another vocabulary word to help me. I want <laughs> you to right. lock in on the word race. My teachers were white. My my students were black. My parents were black. And so specifically, we looked at those issues. So, uh, Wayne, to answer your question, year two, I um, year two, I created a a. Uh, presentation that I've now shared parts parts of it from Boston to Arizona. And I created a presentation called After the Doors Close, 
teacher attitude and its impact on student achievement. And we directly and intentionally, there's a test in there. It's called, it was a, it was to be fun, but there's a test in there about what do you know about black people? Okay. And so we wanted our staff to know this is the world in which they live. Some of it's fun, some of it's humorous, and then some of it was really, really serious stuff. Like, uh, why would somebody want to put have some Vaseline all over the body and things like that before they go to PE. That's a huge deal. And that's stuff the teachers didn't know. And so we we address those things. To answer your question, uh, a bunch of teachers, the book, I don't know why where I get this uh, uh, ocean theme from my book, but uh, that's what I use. And so there are some people that jumped off the ship uh, year two, lots of them jumped off the ship because I was asking them to just look at things differently. I was not dogmatic. I was not autocratic. I was, I am a, I, I strongly believe in servant leadership. And so I tried to lead them by the, the, the way that I wanted them to lead uh, our children. And that is with love. That is with passion. That is with energy and whatnot. And so Year two, I create this presentation and we watch this presentation and it, it's it's emotional, it's hard hitting, it's interactive. And there was people there were people that jumped off the ship. And um I'll never they forget tell you, they tell you why? They tell you why did they did say I just want another job or they, are they saying I don't want how do you know it's they left because of the subject matter was tough? I, I love your question. Um the district the district, when I went to this neighboring school district, I would say, I would say there was white flight among the teachers because uh, children and families from Oklahoma City proper uh, were migrating to the um, to the north and to the west at great speeds thinking this is the promised land for my children. Oklahoma City has been struggling for a while mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully they're turning that around. They've got some pathways to greatness plans, but they were struggling tremendously. And so the migration of blacks and people of poverty to the east and to the west was at uh, exponential. And they had we had teachers leaving that district going further east and further north at great speeds. So I'm telling you that the uh, schools were losing, when I got to that district, schools were losing upwards to uh, 50 to 65% of their, 70% of their staff. My staff, it's my teachers, uh, and I don't want them to, to, to be offended or think that I, um, I think they were afraid um, they were they they were anxious about here is a this black guy and he's asking us to think differently and operate differently uh, no one was bold enough to just face me and say nah don't like this uh, all of their actions indicated that this was this was i was asking too much and they did share with some of their colleagues that that's st- 
stupid. You, you're asking me to love these students as if they're my very own? And that's what I was asking them to do. I was asking them to teach these kids. I, my first staff meeting, I said, I want a picture. I wish I had a picture of every one of us. Uh, and I'd print it on the wall. And, and we'd have a gallery walk. And I want you to look into the eyes of every one of us at eight years old, seven years old, 10 years old. What would that look like? What would that feel like as you looked out, not knowing what your life is going to be? I want you to put our children on this wall. And I had staff meetings that I put a chair in, in, on a desk, uh, on a table and I said, every decision that we make, I want you to think differently. I want every decision, every request that you make, I want you pretending that it is for that student. So if it's if it's something personal for you right now, I'm asking you not to. Not dogmatic, not autocratic. I'm just asking you to think that there's a Waylon, there's a Cece, there's a Lily sitting in this chair. And so our decisions about how we do things with academically, how we do things with recess, how we do things with our lunch, the whole thing. I want you to pretend. And and uh, one of the proudest uh, facts, if you would, about our school is we had any given year, any given year, we had 90 to 95% of our staff children attending our school. They lived in more affluential uh, communities that were not diverse and their children came to our school. And one of the beauties of that is I know their children loved on their children, their children sometimes sitting in the back of staff meeting, playing around and fooling around. I'd ask their child to come sit on that chair. Mm. Um, they, they'd have a child, and I'd have their child and I'd hold their child in my arm. And I would say, what do you want for this child? Tell me, what would you do for this child? What, is there anything that you wouldn't do for this child? Then I'm asking you to do the same thing for this somebody else's child that can't be here. Yeah. So Oof. I was uh, lucky enough to visit the school uh, probably year 11 or 12. You okay. kind of jetted out after I started getting really connected to Two Lakes and, and your work there. And one of the things that I... Uh, that stuck out immediately after I was there. And I go to a lot of schools okay. and I hang out with a lot of principals. And one of the things that, that uh, stuck out was the relationship you seem to have with those teachers or the teachers seem to have with you. Talk, talk to me about how you built those relationships and how those relationships actually made a way for a tough conversation like the kind of conversation you have to have about race. Great question again. I think anybody in leadership, whether it's law enforcement, whether or not it's church, whether or not it's uh, business, people in leadership have to know how to lead. And unfortunately, some people have been and are being promoted to positions of leadership based upon their skill set, based upon their name, who they know, how long they've been there. Um, my dad, I learned from my dad on how to serve people. And you have to love people. My teachers knew that Lee Rowland would go through two brick, brick walls for them. I would. And so if a teacher has a child and um, they need to go and nurse, they need to go home and take, I told them, your family comes first. This is your job. And I want you to do your job with excellence. I want you to be committed, but your family comes first. And so I loved on my staff and uh, I still have a tremendous relationship with those people. 
I asked them to do some very difficult stuff. And I knew I was asking them to do that, but I tried to live that out and serve that. So I was always accessible to my teachers. They could call me anytime. Uh, no problem was too small. Uh, and Wayland, I know for a fact that I have colleagues that treat the, that job uh, as a principal, as a leader, more as a, I'm the person. Uh, I had, sh I believed in shared leadership. And so uh, a new term that people are using, distributive leadership. So I gave people, uh, I delegated things and showed confidence in them and let them, and golly gee, they did some things better than I could have ever dreamed of, of doing those things. And it was a we thing. Uh, everybody on the ship rowing in the same direction for the same goal. And so um, they did those things for out of the, they responded out of our relationship until they developed that relationship uh, with the kids. And then it became very extremely contagious. Um, and it's, it's just part of our culture. Let's talk about culture for a second, because I know, because I'm thinking about it. I know there's somebody out there listening and thinking and stuck wanting to know more about this presentation. Tell the people about the Vaseline. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> again, I do some I do that with some humor. And I, as I share about the Vaseline, I as a young boy, um, it was quite uh, you know, we had those white t-shirts and white shorts that we had to wear in PE and they were, those shorts were short. And, uh, <laughs> the 5'5 five five hadn't uh, popularized the longer short yet. And so we'd have to dress out for PE and that's the beauty of it. I can reflect and remember the embarrassment and the shame of uh, Jeffrey uh, uh, and and Marcus and and all of these guys that tease me when if I didn't have some lotion or ass uh, I didn't have some uh, Vaseline on my legs and so everybody just laughed profusely at you if you came out with those ashy uh, white uh, legs and arms and whatnot and so because that's I, something that I don't think I, I don't know for sure but I'm not sure. Um, that maybe some white communities understands about our culture that like ash is like a sin. Like, like do not come out your house with some ashy knees or some ashy elbows. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, your, your, your skin, uh, that that's a huge thing. The other huge thing is your hair. Yeah. And so, uh, I with school funds purchase some clippers and I cut kids hair in the office in the morning that wow. came to school shamed of their haircut. Yes. Mommy got mad. She let she cut their hair. The big brother cut their hair and just scalped them all up. And so here's a kid got all this attitude and all this rage. Come here, boy. Let me tighten you up. Call yes. mom. Let me tighten you up. I, you know, fade him up real nice. Put a little star in his head. You're a superstar, bro. Go do your thing. Uh, but it was all about serving and all about loving on those kids. That is so incredible to me. You know, when I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about um, the movie that I saw as a kid was it Mr. Carter? Was that the name of the movie? I think or the principal who came in to um, uh, quote unquote for Big whatever. Big bad Joe. For yeah, whatever that, was that context yeah. was. A yeah, rough, it was lean on me. Uh, lean on, on me. me. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. rough school and the principal. You know, um, everybody like had a lot of like questions about him first and like didn't trust him first. But like every action he was hard, but every action he took. 
you know, was really about the transformation of that community. And so by the end of the movie, it was just the whole school was different. The kids' lives were different. The teachers were better. So when I'm listening to your story, I think about, I think about that. And that for me is just such heroic work because I think that, you know, we can do heroic acts like on any given day. You know, we can do something good, something kind, something memorable and kind of, you know, shake our hands and kind of move on. But when you when you intentionally go into a challenge and the same challenge every day and there's no reporters there to document what you what the amazing things that you're doing, but you're making those choices every day to go in and then after, you know, 12 years or however long it was, you're able then to look back to see the fruit of that. Now, to me, that's like, that's another level of um, being heroic. I just, I think that's incredible. There's no doubt about the the lives he's changed. We've run around this town and, and I think I'm meeting a kid for something and he points to Mr. Rowland and said, that's, that's my principal. Yeah. So his impact has been large. Lee, tell me, something a do-over everybody you know we play golf everybody wants a, a mulligan you, you've had all this achievement all the success uh with the book and with with that school and, and stuff but as you talk about race and building relationships uh and, and dealing with that give me one of your do-overs what would you do over man that's a great question um and if you can get lee Rowland to kind of be signing for a minute you you've done something <laughs> um I think uh, I, I can't think of anything that I would I would do over, uh, and that's I don't know. I say that with great thankfulness. Uh, probably, uh, probably the thing that comes to my mind the first it it would if I had it to do over it, uh, it would be hard for me to leave. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that's. But as far as let me ask it this way. Yes. Let me ask it this way. I know that, so we're, we're talking about race and Cece and I are, we're engaged in this conversation all the time. And I know we've left conversations or left incidents or I said something that I'm driving home and I went, I could have done better if I would have said this or didn't say mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I could have helped that relationship along or you know what? I carried that relationship a little too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even in your journey when you're talking about justice and you're talking about race and unity and having this conversation, because we really want to try to help people engage and dive into this conversation and be inspired by the work you did by just leaning into the conversation. But we've got to know that we do have make, made some mistakes. And any of those come to mind? Man, I, and I apologize for really not having that. I think the thing that comes to my mind the most um, is really pushing my teachers to really replace me and go and be principals. Uh, I may have, I, I, I did encourage them, but I think I should have, I should have done so with, with greater force in telling them, listen, we got to take this, uh, take this beyond here. The, the school has a tremendous reputation still today. And many of those teachers are now in other places doing great things. I'm talking about from legislative to Mm -hmm. uh, leadership in other districts, and they're literally all over the country. Uh, I probably 
should have told them, listen, you've got to you you've got to leave the classroom. We we can produce some more teachers, but I, we need more people to understand what you understand that every one of these children does have value. Every one of them, uh, every one of the almost every one of them, their parents truly care and are doing the very best they can. We can help them by by showing them uh, how to serve their children better, but how to help their children, but. Uh, uh, that would probably be the biggest regret is really not pushing more teachers to go out because they were they were incredible they were phenomenal uh, I know we've got to end I was interviewed uh, Waylon and CC I was interviewed uh, by a syndicated radio uh, show in Washington D.C. and it was kind of like you guys uh, the uh, female just asked me all these questions about the school and I told about all the wonderful things and how teachers actually love children that didn't look like them, that didn't come from a, the same place that they came from. And we had a great interview. And at the end, the male said, hey, bro, thanks for telling your story. But frankly, I don't believe you. Mm. He said, I think that's some bull what you just told us. And I think this is shameful that 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 is his belief that people don't believe that there are enough people out there that will love and care for people that don't look like them and are not from a place like them. Um, that is it's horrific. And we simply must uh, transform and change, uh, uh, get a paradigm shift of how we do school. It, you're in law enforcement, Wayland, but I think we've seen uh, the greatest atrocities, and we've seen police brutality, and we've seen some injustice there, but I think the greatest injustice take place for the vast number of our kids at a place called school, and that's not acceptable for me. And that book, it wasn't acceptable for those people, uh, and they changed the way that they did things, and now they're changing it the way uh, people are doing it all over this country. Um. Lee, as we wind down, talk just for a couple of seconds about the importance of family structure for the education of a child and what, you, what your experience has been with that. I think the family structure is so huge. It is everything. But, but the family has changed dramatically in almost 2020. We know that uh, 75% of our homes do not have the, the father of, of our black homes, do not have the biological father in the home. That that much we know. And so one of the things I, I would share with my staff is that we can't we can't change that. We we as a staff, but what we can do is we can be that family for them. Now I believe it is incumbent upon all of these other uh uh uh, the, uh, upon the, the community to try to change those statistics. Uh, the churches, uh, the, 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 the companies and hiring uh, law enforcement, if we can get keep more fathers in our homes and things like that by sentencing or whatever it is that we're doing. Um, Waylon is doing, they've got some alternatives for, for kids and things like that. As we create those, there's some programs in Oklahoma City uh, for women that get incarcerated. It's phenomenal. As we change those, I think we can impact that. But for the school, 
I think it behooves us at school to be the family for the kid. And I don't say this uh, braggingly, boastfully, I say this is the truth. These children looked forward to coming to school, not just for lunch, not just for recess, but they looked forward to coming to school. It was punishment to be out of the classroom. Uh, It was, our children cried at the end of the school year they cried. It was phenomenal. Why are you crying? I looked forward to summer. These kids, they're broken hearted because they're not going to see their teacher. They're not going to see their principal for three months. Yeah. So uh, I'd love to continue. We can talk all day long all day. about what you've done and what your visions are and what your hopes for the community is. Uh, maybe you'll go back to to. Maybe the classroom. I don't know. Maybe that's too small. We got to get you on a bigger stage. You got to get the book. But I got to ask you this one question. Let's just pretend right now that the listeners are your teachers mm-hmm. and they were staff at Two Lakes. Maybe they're middle class. Maybe they're white. They live in a comfortable area that's not, and they don't have much interaction with urban kids uh, in Oklahoma City or other urban areas. Today, in 2019, what are your thoughts for them? And if you, uh, and if you could open up their mindset, mindset. Uh, and shift them. What would you say about the inequities in our city and our country, and how would you engage them? We would absolutely. I'd show my presentation to them after the doors closed. Teacher attitude and its impact on student achievement. And I, I we we're going to have that three and a half hours of fun. Aha! Ooh! Ah! Ee! Kind of. We're going to have that session. Uh, I want them to know the realities are not the same. We're not playing on a level uh, playing field. It is not that way. And when we become empathic, the game changes. You respond to me differently when you know that I care about you. And our children, and and this, this saying has been in education as long as I've been around, children don't care how much they you know until they know how much you care. I promise you, we got results from kids that did not care about education. They did not care about uh, making uh, offending somebody, hurt somebody. What they did is they did care about their teacher and they did not want to disappoint their teacher and they did not want to disappoint their principal. And it's relationships are everything. That's fantastic. So get the book, check out the book. It's Fantastic Voyage. A Story of School Turnaround Achievement by Overcoming Poverty and Addressing Race by our friend Lee Rowland. Lee, do you have a website? Yes, LeeRowland.education. LeeRowland.education. Yes. Most importantly, have the conversation. Have the conversation that Lee was so bold to have with his staff, with his teachers, and he is now doing all over the city and all over the country about race and poverty and justice for every kid and every person. Uh, you can reach out to him and all those different platforms and those things. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to, to hang out with us. And thank you so much for listening to United Voice Podcast. I'm Waylon Cubitt. This is Cece Jones Davis. And uh, as always, we seek common ground for common good. Until next time, we'll see you on United Voice Oklahoma. Thanks, everybody.